two minutes on the official, non-official clock. Ooh, I got 10.02 on this clock. I'm running late. Yeah, I don't think that clock's right. All right, yeah. The clock hadn't arrived for like a semester. First week of the year, we'll sit up here by the clock. First week of this class. This is the first week of the second half of this class. What? Well, say that again. Always. The first week of the second term of this class. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. Yeah, for those of you who are in the fall, we're here in the fall. We had the cliffhanger. We started. We they should have put a Roman numeral two on the. And then that other half of the book, Acts, we're going to talk about today. So uh, we're teaching the New Testament in the order, the best we can determine order that the books were written. Uh, and so we're about halfway through, and we get to the book of Luke, uh, which is written by Luke. Uh, and then. Acts is a parallel book that is written at the same time by the same author that is meant to be read together. Only our Bible splits them. They're supposed to be back to back. Uh, and so the question is why a third gospel, third story? You want to tell the story of Jesus to the Greeks. Matthew is to the, to the Jews. Mark is a very short, quick book. John doesn't get written for 40 years after this. Also written to the Jews. And so, uh, preserves the origin of the church. And, look, you have to read everything in, in context. The social context at the time of the writing of this book is, Paul is in house arrest in Rome. So if you read Luke-Acts as a single book, it's the story that, because Luke ends up with Paul in Rome, he has these books with him. You have to give some context to the attorney, and Paul has appealed to the emperor. The emperor doesn't care about religious arguments, which is why Paul's in jail. So Luke and Acts are written to tell the story, but also to give context so that when Paul comes before the emperor, someone can tell the emperor what the whole thing's about. So when you read Luke and Acts, uh, the biggest thing is the, Luke wrote to show to the Roman world that Christianity is not a subversive political movement. If you're revolutionary, that's going to get everybody killed. Because once again, the Romans don't care what you do, just keep the peace. And so when you read this book, Luke and Acts, that comes out. The Christians... Remember, Nero is emperor. Nero is 27 at this time. Think about it. 20, think of what you were like at 27 with absolute power. Absolute power of life or death. How, how did Nero get to be emperor? Nero's mom killed his dad, who was emperor. And then Nero has his mom killed for killing his dad. So you get to be emperor, then you turn on your mom and go, oh, you killed dad, I'm sorry, dead. Nero has a brother and a sister. What happens to them? They're dead. So Nero is not a fun-filled kind of guy you invite to your party. He is an 18-year-old when he becomes emperor who has absolute power. The Jews during this period of time are being Jews is they're constantly starting to rebel. And so Christianity is seen as a sect of the Jews. 
So Luke, in this writing, is trying to explain how Christianity is not Judaism. That we're third. That they're, unlike the Jews who are constantly rebelling, trying to overthrow the Romans, the Christians don't want that. The Christians want to live in peace. And that it's, we are not a revolution. And so, when you read this book, Luke and Acts, the bad guys in the book are the Jews. The good guys in the book are the Romans. The Romans are never put in a bad light in Luke and Acts. They do some things that we would look at bad, but then they kind of, uh, when Jesus Jesus is crucified by Pontius Pilate, what's Pontius Pilate say? He washes his hands, which is Romans saying, I am innocent of this act. You are forcing me to put Jesus to death. And he says that. And then he writes some stuff on the cross just to get back at him. Uh, So the book of Acts... I thought it might be interesting. Uh, this is his kind of a picture of where all the 12 disciples, 12 apostles went according to tradition. We don't have a lot of writing. There's a lot of tradition, not a lot of writing. Uh, there's where they ended up, according to the Catholic Church and the uh, Orthodox Church, where all the apostles died and where their current remains are. The odds of these being the remains, pretty darn low. Uh, Jane and I were at uh, Chartres, the Cathedral of Chartres in France uh, several years ago. You can't, you can't, they, in order to be a cathedral, you have to have a, a holy remnant. They have the birth gown of, of Mary. So when Jesus was born, the gown that Mary was wearing. You can't see it now, they've taken it off. When we were there, you could walk back and see it. Uh, it's interesting enough. Because Jane and I were talking about at the time we saw it, it is a robin's egg blue silk gown. (laughs) What are the odds that a poor girl from Nazareth who walked 100 miles south to give birth was wearing Chinese silk? (laughs) Zippo. Uh, But that's, if you go to Chartres, that's why they're a cathedral. That's their holy remnant. And they won't defend that to the death, but that is Mary's gown. And so, a lot, you can take a little bit of grain of salt of where these guys are actually buried. Because, how many of you ever been to a foreign country where you have a lot more money than they do? And you, you walk into the market and you say, I want a, name it. The, guy, the young boy who comes up to you will find that for you. If you got enough money, he's going to find it. Once, after AD 325, once the Christian church becomes the official church of Rome, Constantine's mother is Christian. She goes on an artifact hunt. She goes to the Holy Land and says, show me where Jesus was born. This is 325 years later. What are the odds they remember that where that was? What are the odds somebody took her to somewhere? 100%. Emperor's mom says, I want to do this. You're going to do that. She says, I want the cross on which Jesus was crucified. Because if you go to the uh, uh, St. Peter's in Rome, they have slivers of the cross. What are the odds that that cross was saved? I don't know, pretty low. 325 years later, it's wood. What are the odds someone found a cross for the emperor's mom? 100%. 
And so you, so you take this with a lot of grain of salt where, where these guys are buried. Uh, a lot of them, have they died? I mean, some of them we know. Paul beheaded, Peter crucified, we know. Uh, James the Greater, uh, we know he's killed very early on. Uh, the rest of these are become very kind of... Uh, so somebody said, somebody said, somebody said, someone writes it down 400 years later. So we're not 100% sure where all these guys are, but there's a... If you, if you want to kind of think of where they're at. All right, Book of Acts, uh, broken into five parts. It's the story. It's it, your Bible probably says Acts of the Apostles. It should be Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because that's what happens, is the Holy Spirit gets a hold of these people and dwells them, and then you see what happens. Once again, it's Luke explaining to the guys in Rome when you become a follower of Jesus and the Holy Spirit indwells you, here's what happens to you. And so, uh, it happened. so you start Jerusalem, Samaria, Antioch, Greece, Rome. We're going to ignore that for a minute. Here's the very, very beginning of the book. It, it dovetails right in the end of Luke. At the end of Luke, Jesus ascends into heaven. <laughs> Luke starts with that same story. He's writing to Theophilus. Uh, I wrote about what Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. The most interesting part, he was here for 40 days, which is a very Jewish number. Uh, think about, you know, how, how much did it rain for the ark, right? 40 is, 40 is a very, it's a number of completion. Uh, and then he says, don't leave Jerusalem, wait for the gift. Uh, I bat John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's the beginning of the book. The rest of this book is about what the Holy Spirit does to all these people. And then my favorite part is, all right, so Jesus has died. He's come back. He's lived with him for 40 days. What do the apostles know, want to know? The same thing they want to know the entire book of Luke. Is it time for us to be king? Are you going to restore the kingdom? And Jerusalem's going to be the head of the kingdom, and we're going to be your right-hand man. That's what they're asking there. And Jesus says, it's not for you to know, but wait for the Spirit, because once the Spirit comes, they get fuller understanding. Uh, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. So the book is structured like this sentence. You start out in Jerusalem, then you go to Samaria, then you go to Antioch, then you go to the Greek world, then you go to Rome. And then he disappears before their sight, uh, and the angels come to him and say, why are you looking up there? Uh, he's going to come back the same way. All right. First seven chapters, the church is in Jerusalem. The church is a Jewish church at this point. Uh, we look, Jesus ascends to heaven. The apostles get together and decide they need a 12th apostle. Is that scriptural? I don't know. Did the Holy Spirit tell them? I don't know. Or because they were Jewish and 12 is the number of completion for the Jews? Very possibly. They pick 
or the spirit picks Matthias. We know nothing more about Matthias. He gets picked. He's like, you know, the bench rider on, you know, whoever wins the Super Bowl game today that, you know, never gets in the game. You know, he's a Super Bowl ring, but we know nothing about him other than the fact that it's Matthias. All right, day of Pentecost. So day of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. Uh, most people come to Jerusalem stay for the 50 days so they can do two of the big feasts before they go back home. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes on the apostles and the other people in the upper room. Read that carefully. It's not just the apostles. Everyone's up there. I think it says about 70. Uh, and so they start preaching early in the morning. But 100, I heard someone. 120. There we go. Uh, and this is also why we know all churches start at 9 a.m., right? <laughs> it's scriptural. Because what's Paul say? It's not yet 9 in the morning, and we're not drunk. So that's why we have church. <laughs> as good a reason as any, I guess. Uh, uh, so there's a gathering, and they start teaching, and then, you know, the miracle, everybody hears them in their, la their language, and it lists a bunch of languages. Uh, Remember, all these are Jews, because that's who comes to uh, Jerusalem for Passover. So they, they know the Old Testament. They hear the story from the apostles, from Peter and John preaching. Uh, and then the church gets to start. 3,000 people, 3,000 men, people. Uh, so you have a very large church. Uh, where do these people meet? Homes. Homes. Yeah. There's there's no 3,000 person church. You know, we don't have, uh, what's the big one up on, say, on the interstate? North of town. Yeah, Cornerstone, you know, that seats 3,000 people. Or, you know, if you go to some of our bigger churches that seat seven or 8,000. I was at Southeast Christian for a mission conference. They seat 9,000. Uh, they don't have those. So where do they, they meet in the homes. They meet in group, small groups. Because most of the average home... 20 people, maybe. Uh, the other place they meet is in the courts of the temple. Because the front part of the temple, the whole Jerusalem, I Josh uh, said it last week, Jerusalem is a city that revolves around the temple. It's only there because of the temple. So, so a lot of these guys would meet in the temple and talk and meet. And so when you move into chapter 3 and 4, uh, Peter and John start teaching. I'm sure the other apostles are teaching too. We just hear the story of Peter and John. They start teaching in the temple and people start believing because people are looking for the Messiah. That's what a lot of Jews in the first century, they were very focused that direction. Uh, and I said they wreak havoc in the, in the temple. Basically, they start teaching, people start believing them, and then they start Issues that went with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sadducees run the temple. A lot of arguments. Who throws them in jail? Is it the Romans? Nope. Again, Romans don't care about religious argument. The Jews, temple guards, throw Peter and John in jail. So when you read the book of Acts, look, who throws them in jail? Who instigates the jailing every time you see jailing? In this case, it's the Jews. Uh, and of course, the, the 
famous line they take him before the Sanhedrin and they say, you guys should really quit doing this, and Peter and John say, can't do it. You know, we have to say what we have seen. And that, that's a period of time when see if my app will work. And so you, you see some of the, the workings, and then you know, Peter basically tells his story in the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin's made up of Sadducees and Pharisees by and large. The Essenes, which are a group, they, they don't go to the Sanhedrin. They're, they're all in their little enclaves outside the city. While you're looking at that, can I just yep. talk about the high priesthood? Yeah, jump in there. By this, time, in, by this time that Acts is written, the high priests are, they have dual responsibilities. They're not, the, the primary focus of the high priest is to be the high priest of Israel. But by this point in time, the high priest have sold out to Rome. And what they're doing is keeping peace for Rome. These are Hellenists. Uh, they, they have totally converted. So the people are not looking at the high priest as the emissary of God. Now the Essenes, what you were yes. talking about, they left the temple and went down to Engedi uh, down by the Dead Sea because the high priest was so corrupt that they wanted to, they wanted to be done with the whole thing. So that, I think that's important to understand. These, the high priest didn't have the same uh, deal as, as they did in years prior. Right. Uh, and the people, we, Pharisee in English is a bad term. You, if you call someone a Pharisee, you're insulting them. In the first century, a Pharisee was the most highly regarded of the Jews because he wasn't a Sadducee. Sadducee of the priest. Sadducees are considered the sellouts. Right, because they're, they have done a deal with Rome to stay in charge. When Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and Jesus looks at him and says, you're a teacher of Israel? And you, yeah. He's calling him a Pharisee. Yeah. You're a Pharisee. You're a Pharisee. And but, that, but that's a compliment. Right. It's not until, you know, once the Christianity gets rolling and they start writing the Bible, the Pharisee becomes uh, not a compliment. Uh, and so at the very end of chapter 4, we meet a guy named uh, Barnabas who sells some land, lays it at the feet of the apostles. And then we have a very interesting story in chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. I'm glad to tell you, I'm not sure why that's there. Other than that, it's a really interesting story. We all know it from the, when, when you were growing up in church, right? They sell some land, and they, uh, because, you know, everyone, a lot of these people are visitors. They don't, they're, you know, you don't have uh, the Holiday Inn. So a lot of these people, it's only whatever cash you can bring with you. There's no credit cards, and so... They're having some issues getting food, living, and so people are selling land and giving it to the church to support these people. And so Barnabas does it, gives all, it says he gives all his money to them and for the people, all the money from the land. So somehow Innocent Sapphira decide they're going to sell a piece of property. There's no requirement that you give everything, but they come in and Ananias says, here's this money, 
He lays it in front of everyone and says, this is everything that we got. And it's going like, are you sure? Yes. Drops dead. Of course, you know, they are, they're taking him out immediately to the graveyard. Then Sapphira comes in. They ask her the same thing. She drops dead. They take her out. Immediately the church grows. I can't explain. And giving doubles. That's right. Uh, I can't explain that. I mean, if I was in church where people are dropping dead, I'm going, maybe there's another another congregation down the road that might see me up a little better. Uh, but yeah, literally, it's like they drop dead and the church grows. Power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's total power of the Holy Spirit. It's yeah. But you see, you see the Holy Spirit. Yeah, like, ah, these guys were lying. They're dead. Moving on. Uh, then you see everyone preaching, teaching. Uh, they're doing healings. Uh, there's a scene where Peter and John are walking through and heal the guy. And then uh, again, uh, the Sanhedrin. They get the guy and go, "Hey, what's going on? You, you've been here forever." And he tells them the story of who healed him. And then they get Peter and John back in and say, quit healing people. Quit teaching. And they said, can't. Uh, but again, who jails them? Not the Romans. The Jews. All right. Then we have the only issue of uh, the first, we call them deacons. They're not called deacons in Acts. They are just the seven guys who distribute food to the Greeks. Uh the issue is some people speak uh, Aramaic, some people speak Greek. People who speak Greek don't speak Aramaic. Uh, and so they have problems asking for help distributing food. And so you see the church appoint these seven guys to help distribute. The odds are these guys all, a lot of them have Greek names, so they probably speak Greek. And so it helps them. We interpret this as their deacons. Uh, next week we're going to get into 1 Timothy. They probably were deacons. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk about that. So Stephen's one of them. And then chapter 6, chapter 7. Stephen is out teaching people so strongly he's converting people. Again, the Sanhedrin does not like this. They arrest Stephen. It's a religious thing, so you can do that. They're about to go over the edge. So Stephen has this great sermon that he preaches to the Sanhedrin. If you want to read like the history, the, the story arc of the Jewish people, read chapter six and seven. That's Stephen laying it out for them. They get so mad when he basically says you're ignoring your own scriptures. They take him out of the city and they kill him. Which, by the way, is insurrection. If you start killing people, Rome can kill everyone they want. If you're not Rome, you cannot kill people. So that's very careful in this book. That is a crime against Rome. Who does it? The Jews. And this is where we say hello to Saul. They lay their feet, their clothes, at the foot of Saul of Tarsus. This, Saul is about to become the center of the book. So now we're in Jerusalem. So that kind of ends the Jerusalem segment. Any thoughts, questions? Hey, Jeff, yes. Are people, I know that people are worshiping in different homes. Is there, and they're giving light, is there kind of a commune, do you think, where people are living? Well, I, I, I think, it's hard, there's not a commune, because Jerusalem, there's no place to commune, it's on top of a hill. 
So it's like if you're living in Jerusalem, you're living in a city, and you can't like go out and grow your own food there because you're on top of a hill. Uh, so there, you have to buy stuff. Are the apostles in the upper room? They probably were, where they got it, very possibly. Uh, but you've got thousands of followers now. In fact, he even talks in there that some of the priests are starting to believe. And if you're a, a, if you're a, a Jewish priest and you're, you're a Sadducee, that's a problem. Because if you're supposed to be serving in the temple and you're now believing in Jesus, who says, you don't need the temple. You talk, Look at his teaching. You don't need to worship in the temple. But your entire religion is around the temple. That becomes a problem. Which is why one of the reasons Stephen gets killed. Uh, so yeah, it's there. It's very unorganized. I mean, because you're you're talking thousands of followers in a city. After Pentecost, the city is probably like fifty, sixty thousand. So you know, if the church has five thousand members, we're, you're almost a tenth of the city is Christian. But again, the Romans view it as a sect of the Judea, Jews. Everybody's Jewish. Uh, then we jump to chapter 8. Now that the focus is moving slightly north to Samaria. Paul, you see Paul's commission, which is go about, find these Christians who have left Jerusalem, bring them back so we can throw them in jail. The interesting part about it, it brings up Paul is a fairly... He's not on the Sanhedrin, but he's pretty senior in the school of Halal, who Gamaliel runs. That's probably the most respected of the, the, the Pharisees. Uh, so you see Paul commissioned, go out and grab people who aren't in our... And it's very interesting because Paul has to cross out of Judea into other areas. He doesn't really have the uh, ability... the authority to do this. So, but he's going to do it anyways. He's a true believer. Then we get the story of Philip going to Samaria, moving north. You meet Simon the sorcerer, and then Philip has the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. What Luke is doing here, he's now spreading the church outside traditional Judaism. Because Samaria, Samarians are half-Jews. They're not, you know, they're not Jewish, they're not Gentile, they're kind of half and half. So now we've gone from a Jewish church to a, let's bring in some peri, uh, they believe in the Old Testament, but they're not 100% Jews, Samaritans, and eunuchs, uh, Ethiopians. And so uh, what you see is the Holy Spirit now saying everybody can be part of this church. Because originally, it's like you have to be Jews to be a part of this church. Remember, this is written AD 60, 62. So we're you know, 30 years into Christianity. So he's bringing up examples of you don't have to be a Jew to be in this church. So Simon the Sorcerer, Ethiopian eunuch. And then Philip disappears, and that's the last you hear of Philip. Supposedly. Until his daughters. Until his daughters show up. Hey, can I say one yes, thing? Yes, go ahead. About? One thing about the Ethiopian for those for those who study, I'm I'm on this trajectory uh, kick right now. And if you were well, if, if you go back to Exodus, and I, I'm not going to be able to give you the exact verse, but 
Exodus, it talks about a man having crushed testicles. I haven't really talked to a doctor yet about this, but I wonder how common that is. But it, what the way you treated that that malady is, no, you cannot come, you can't come to church. You can't be a part of anything. So contrast that. It, it reiterates that in Deuteronomy, and then contrast that to this Ethiopian eunuch who has no testicles, and he's driven sixteen hundred miles from Ethiopia to celebrate high and holy days, uh, in and felt felt good about being able to go in. And Philip goes down and meets him, and now he becomes the mission. I mean, the way the kingdom of God works, it goes from goes from ju strict Judaism to now we've we got the church, and yeah. these are it's different. And it's really interesting because when you look at Ethiopia, it becomes an early hotbed of the church. In fact, if you go to Ethiopia today, there are churches from the 2nd and 3rd century all over Ethiopia. And in fact, they actually have the Ark of the Temple. Ark of the Covenant. They won't show it to you, but they say they've got it. Uh, but it, it, it becomes an early hotbed. In fact, if you look early on, the, where at least two of the apostles theoretically died in Ethiopia. Uh, did not die of old age. But, so it was not 100% friendly to the Christians. All right, chapter 9, Paul's conversion. So Saul of Tarsus now becomes Paul. <laughs> the Christian, and then and so the story of Paul, how he meets Jesus, uh, gets converted, goes back. He gets converted. The first thing he does is the Jews want to kill him. And he has to escape out of the city. Every time you meet Paul, you either become a Christian or you want him dead. He's that kind of guy. We all know the people just like that, right? You either guy, you either love him or hate him. That's Paul. Uh, and you'll see the rest of the book, the Jews really hate him. They really, really, really want him dead. Uh, and then Peter goes down to Joppa. Joppa, we're now in Samaria, we're getting up into low Syria. He goes to Joppa, where you know, he has the, the, the dream about all the food, which is, you know, there's nothing that God has made that's clean. That you, everything God has made is clean. There's no unclean things anymore. Chapter 10, we meet the first Gentile converts. Look in chapter 10. Who is it? I heard it. Cornelius. And what is Cornelius? He's a Roman centurion. So that is not an accident that Luke puts that in there. Yeah, he's, a, he's somewhere between a captain and a general. Depends on... Centurion could mean any of those. He is a very influential guy. So the first Gentiles converted to Christianity... Roman soldier. Think how this is going to play in Rome when you read this for the emperor. Oh, you have Roman centurions who are followers of Jesus. And it's kind of like, oh, okay. So there Wait, that's good or bad? That's good. Because that means that they have looked at it and realized it is not a rebellion against Rome. Not that they would have some subversive... Well, these guys are too low for... They're not senators. A Roman senator, that'd be a, yes. Roman senators, I want to be emperor. A Roman centurion, you're not going to become emperor. But it's the fact that he, oh, he's studied it, he's lived among the people, he's become a Christian. Uh, and so 
Also, that's a message back to the Jews in Jerusalem of the Christianity goes to Gentiles too. And you know, we know from the other books we studied early last semester, there's a lot of issues about that the first 20 years. How Jewish do you have to be to be a Christian? And Paul basically comes out, Peter comes out and says, you don't have to be Jewish at all. It's Christian's Christian. You don't have to be Jews. Chapter 11, there's a meeting in Jerusalem about are Gentiles allowed to be Christian? And so they, they kind of said, yeah, they do. Uh, and then you move on. So now we move to Antioch. Why Antioch? couple reasons. One, third biggest city in the Roman Empire. Number two, that's where the church becomes headquartered, if you want to call it headquartered, for 100, 150 years. Uh, the Jews start persecuting the Christians, who are also Jews. And so a lot of them leave Jerusalem, where they end up, a lot of them end up in, in Antioch. The first part of 11 to 11.19, there's a 10-year jump. So don't read this as continuous. Basically, the story ends for about 10 years. Saul, Saul, who becomes Paul, goes home to Tarsus. In chapter 11, 19, they say, oh, we need someone to go to the Jews. And so a guy named Barnabas remembers Paul and sends for him. Then we have a little side story here in chapter 12. James, the apostle, uh, is killed by uh, Herod. But Luke tells you he doesn't blame Herod for it. He says this. When he saw that this met with the Jewish approval, approval among the Jews, he basically is, again, blaming the Jews because Herod is part Jew, but he's also Roman hierarchy. So he's not saying Herod did this. He said the Jews caused Herod to do this. And then uh, he, Herod likes the fact that he's now popular, so he arrests Peter, the head of what he considers the head of the church. Uh, the story of Peter escapes, and you know, the story, you know, how many sermons have you heard knocking, Peter knocking on the door and no one believes he's there? That's from here. Uh, Herod then a little side story, again, that I don't understand. Herod feels proud, and he's the man, and he dies of a worm as a intestines on I don't know what that means. Other than the fact that he dies of he's proud. All right. Now the rest of the book is the story of Paul. The focus has now moved totally to Paul. Uh, 1314 is the first missionary journey, AD 47-48. Jesus is roughly around 80-30. I know it says 80-33 and on your stickers. He's probably like 29 or 30. Uh, first missionary journey. Let's go this way. Paul is in Antioch. Uh, he does this little purple leaf. Comes up here to the other Antioch. This, this is why it's confusing. The Bible is lots of Antiochs. Uh, this is not the one... You know, five miles from here. Uh, comes up here, does his first missionary journey, goes back to home church, Antioch of Syria. And then he's converting Gentiles during this whole period. Because this is all, there are some Jewish Jews that live here. This is primarily Gentile. This is all what we call Galatia. 
Paul is establishing the church among the Gentiles. So, like all good churches, you've got to have a meeting. They put together a committee. We're going to talk about it. That's the entire 15th chapter. Paul goes back along with Barnabas, all the apostles that gather in Jerusalem. Uh, because the main reason is that John is in Jerusalem. Peter is probably in Antioch at this time. They all go back to Jerusalem. They have a meeting. And basically they said, yeah, it's, it's fine to make Gentile Christians. Uh, and I think it's don't eat meat slaughtered. Yeah, the Nazarite vow, which is interesting. We, we, that's a whole class on itself, why they picked that. And then Paul goes, I'm just ha I was happy to do it. All right. 1618, second missionary journey. So immediately comes back, he makes a bigger journey. And then 19 to 20, third missionary journey. So you see, Paul spends basically the next 10 years in the book of Acts, looping around here. Ignore the red one for now. He loops around here multiple times, making churches. And as Randall said a couple classes ago, this becomes where the church, the center of gravity for the church. All this area becomes Christian. All up through here becomes Christian. Thousands of Christians are in this area. And in fact, uh, this, this becomes Constantinople, which is now Istanbul, which becomes the head of the Eastern Orthodox Church. Becomes up there. Uh, and so later on in Christian history, you have the, the schism between the East and the West. The West is in Rome. The East is in Constantinople. But all this becomes Christian. So all these books that we read, some in the first uh, last semester of this, are written during this time to the churches that Paul has founded. So a lot of the church, a lot of the early writings are Paul, because he's out planting churches. Uh, and then, so he does his third missionary journey. And he's about to come back to Jerusalem. Once again, imprisonment in the book of Acts. Who instigates the trouble every time? The Jews. No matter where Paul goes, the Jews instigate trouble. Every time the Romans investigate the apostles, what do they do? They release them. Every time. That, that's Luke sending signals through the stories that, you know, so Paul, where, because where's Paul right now? He's in a Roman jail. So what's Luke want the Roman government to do? Do what every other Roman has done, investigate this and let him go, which is exactly what happens for two years. Uh, the other question is why, to the, why do the Jews hate Paul so much? They still do. They still do, yes. Important, Paul is a follower. He is trained by Gamaliel. He is in a he may have been one of the two or three guys who are going to take over the school of Hillel, which is the most influential Pharisee division. And so you can imagine someone who's about to take over. I mean, because he you know he's given the they hand him the right to go arrest people. That's not someone you give to like just anybody. Paul's about, and then he all of a sudden goes and jumps to the other team. I mean, that's like if you're a Titan and you leave to go play for Indianapolis. Right? 
you became the worst enemy of the Titans. Same thing here. Only the difference is, these guys want him dead. Uh, as you go through the book of Acts, they try to kill him multiple times. Yes? Do you think that because he had that bullseye on him from the Jews, that when he goes to the next place, the church is kind of left alone in a sense? So the bullseye is on Paul, but there's a church there that's not necessarily persecuted for a while and allowed to grow. I think, yeah, it's, as I look through it, I think the Holy Spirit is saying, okay, Paul, and instead, you must, you're you going to know how much you're going to suffer with my name. I just think it's like the church is left alone because the bullseye is on Paul. The Jews, by and large, leave the church alone, right, because they're after, they're after Paul. They really don't, they don't care if the Gentiles convert to Christianity. You're a Gentile. Jews, Gentiles, animals, dogs, pigs are down here. It's a whole different strata of person to the, to the Jews. So if you're a Gentile, they don't care. Jews becoming Christians, that's a problem. And you see that over and over again. So the last seven chapters, uh, Paul, remember, during all this period of time, he writes Romans. And he tells the Romans, he's never been to Rome, I'm going to Spain, which is also a Three Dog Night song. I've never been to Spain. That's, by the way, the flip side on uh, Jeremiah was a bullfrog. <laughs> yes, I just... Destroyed the world. Yes, joy of the world. That's right. I had that 45 when I was like eight. The flip side is I've never been to Spain. Paul's never been to Spain. Paul writes the Romans, I'm going to Spain. Once I finish my third trip, I'm going to Spain. I'm coming through Rome, because that's the way you get there. And I want to see you when I get there. And that's why he writes the book of Romans. He's going to Rome, not the way he thought. Uh, so he comes home. He had, made, he had collected money because there's a famine in Jerusalem. He is going to deliver the money. He goes to Antioch where Philip's daughters, who are prophetesses, say, don't go to Rome, don't go to Jerusalem. If you go to Jerusalem, you'll be taken prisoner and taken prisoner to Rome. And he says, I gotta go to I gotta go to Jerusalem. Uh, so he goes to Jerusalem. He goes to the temple, because he's a good Jew, he's a Jewish Christian. Riot ensues. Uh, they try to kill him in the riot. The Romans come and rescue him. Well, they don't rescue him, they arrest him. Uh, he gives, uh, he talks to the centurion and says, hey, pull out my Roman citizen card. Don't arrest me. Uh, I need to speak to guys. And he can, he can speak Aramaic. And the, and the centurion goes, oh, he can speak Aramaic. Talk to him. He gives a speech. More rioting occurs. And then, so they take him into the uh, uh, fortress, and they're going to whip him. And Paul looks at him and goes, is it lawful to whip a Roman citizen? And the guy goes, nope. He, Roman citizens carry a little thing around the neck. He pulls it out, and he goes, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this. And so he goes before the Sanhedrin, they, of course, want him dead. There is a murder plot 
There are a bunch of guys who say they're going to fast and they're going to kill Paul before they eat again. And that's suicide because he's in the hands of the Romans. So these guys said, we're willing to see him dead by, we're going to commit suicide by attacking the Romans, killing Paul. And so there's a murder plot. Paul's nephew hears about it, brings it to the Romans. They say, fine, you're going to Caesarea, which is the Roman capital down the coast. Uh, he talks before Felix. He spends two years there. Uh, Felix, uh, Felix gets replaced by Festus. He talks before Festus. Festus is married to Agrippa's sister. They all listen to him, and they say, you've done nothing. They're looking for, he actually is looking for a bribe to get rid of him. He says, but off to Rome you go. So chapters 27, 28, Paul is going to Rome. He's in a, he gets in a ship. He's in a shipwreck. Uh, he gets bitten by the viper. He doesn't die. There's a lot of little stories in there. And then finally the book ends with him getting to Rome. And so Paul is now in Rome. The book, so the story of the church is now complete up to that point. That's the end of the book of Acts. Uh, so what you see in, in this book, and again, is the explanation of why does the church grow, what does the Holy Spirit do, and the fact that church is not a threat to Rome. Next week, and so now we're, time-wise, we're 80, 62, 63. Paul's under house arrest in Rome. He's going to write three books. We're going to look at those in the next three weeks. Next week is 1 Timothy. Read your six chapters. We, we can talk about women's role, elders, deacons, homosexuality, slavery. So what else does he put in that book? Uh, what do you wear to church? All those are in the book of 1 Timothy. We wish he would have made... Paul writes some really long books with lots of explanation. We wish he had made 1 Timothy just a little bit longer. He throws a lot of hand grenades out there and then just leaves them. All right, so next week, 1 Timothy.